0: SEP Fanfic Readings presents Aurelian by Biddy Blue Eyes. Author Notes for this chapter. This chapter continues right where the last chapter left off, with the memory viewing in the pensive, and it's quite a heavy chapter. There are character deaths, but please remember that they are not permanent. Chapter 7 Shadows of Loss and Heartache. Damn it, this is infuriating! The three visitors looked up in surprise to see that they stood in the kitchen of Grimmauld Place. Memory Harry was positioned at the middle of the table while the rest of the room's occupants stared at him in wait. The room was full, with some people standing around the room's edges, since there were not enough seats. The three visitors took a moment to recognize the many familiar faces. Hermione and Draco were there, sitting next to one another. Angelina Johnson, Neville Longbottom, Dean Thomas, Seamus Finnegan, Cho Chang, Lee Jordan, Blaise Zabini, and a few of their Hogwarts professors, along with Floor, and all of the Weasleys, were all there. There were other faces that they knew, but they could no longer look around at Harry's raging call to their attention. Nothing. Not a single sign of them. Any of them. No death marks in months. No attacks. No destruction. That's not a bad thing, mate, Ron reminded him quietly. I know, Harry sighed in frustration and ran his hand through his hair. It's just maddening not knowing where they are. They are tearing the country to pieces and then just stopped. They don't just stop. They're planning something. I just wish we knew what. It's unsettling, Harry. I know, agreed Kingsley Shacklebolt, the current minister for magic. But we're searching. I know. But how can we search when we don't know where to look? Even the rumors of their whereabouts are dying. Not a single sight in four months. Harry looked down and gripped the sides of the table. Which begs the question, what am I still doing here? Draco spoke up obviously frustrating himself. With no sign of them in months, why can't I return to the manor? I'm tired of being stuck here. I've lost track of time, the visiting Harry said to Hermione. When was Malfoy attacked? When are we now? I don't know, Harry, Hermione answered. I have no idea when he was attacked. It could have been weeks, or it could have been years between that and the previous memory. I think it's safe to assume that this is several months after that, though. You mentioned that there were several attacks and destruction prior to the calm. Well, being dead, Malfoy, you can't exactly go strolling around your neighborhood, can you? The memory Ron quipped. I don't have a neighborhood, Weasley. I understand you wanting to go back to your home, Draco, Mr. Weasley addressed him casually. Believe me, I understand. My family wants to return home also, but it's just not safe yet with how targeted we are. We're working on it, though, Hermione assured them as she rested her hand on Draco's arm. The Fidelius charm is just a lot more complicated than we thought, but Fred, George, and I are close. "'That's right,' said Fred. "'We're just testing it out. "'We want to make sure it holds.' "'It's working okay as far as we can see right now, though. "'No one's yet found the Christmas cookies, "'and they're hiding in plain sight,' George smiled slyly. "'I knew you must have done something with them,' Ron yelled. "'I was looking for them and saw you two walking around with some.' "'See, Drago, you'll be home before you know it,' George smirked. Hermione let out a soft chuckle but quickly pushed the joking aside. She looked anxiously at Harry and returned the focus to the main concern— Back to real business. Harry, I don't think they've been hiding for the last few months. I've been digging around lately, and I've noticed that there have been quite a few disasters and murders in Russia. What? Harry asked in surprise. The rest of the room listened with rapt attention. There have been no dark marks at any of the scenes, but it still looks like their signature. There have been twenty-five murders there and six more in Finland. There have been fires and unexplainable floods. I've been trying to search for other surrounding countries, but I haven't seen much else out of the ordinary. They're in Russia? Charlie asked the room at large. But what are they doing there? That's what we're going to have to figure out, Harry said. We're done for the night. I'm going to look into what Hermione has said, but I think we're going to need some volunteers soon. We'll contact you all for the next meeting. Everyone nodded, and many started to make for the door. Others waited in line for the flu. Visiting Harry was surprised to see that everyone listened to him. The Minister for Magic was there, along with several adults that he had looked up to over the years— yet each and every one of them followed his direction without question. It made him feel rather nervous. It was extremely uncomfortable for him to think he shouldered so much responsibility. Draco, memory Hermione asked quietly, are you coming to the office again tomorrow? So long as Potter doesn't need his cloak back yet, Draco smiled at her. The scene changed again, and the trio found themselves once again chasing after Hermione, though she looked frantic and worried as she strode through the Ministry's atrium and hurriedly through the security checkpoint. She gasped as she saw a familiar head of the messy black hair in front of her. Harry, she called out, but tried to not attract attention at the same time. Her pace quickened. Harry, Harry, she called again and again, getting a little louder each time. Harry stopped and looked at her, his eyes wide in surprise. Hermione! He cried as he threw his arms around her and squeezed her tightly. Oh, gods, Hermione! He pulled back and looked her over quickly, his breaths coming quickly in his overwhelmed state. Hermione's smile looked more like a grimace as she tried to suppress the tears that threatened to form in her stinging eyes. Before she could say anything, an invisible force pushed her roughly into the lift. She grunted when her back hit the back of the lift and gasped when a silvery material floated to the floor to reveal Draco. Harry looked around to make sure no one had seen and quickly closed the door to otherwise empty lift. The visiting trio walked through the closed door and positioned themselves around the memory figures. When they looked up, Draco was kissing Hermione fiercely, angrily. His fists were closed tightly on the material of her cloak of her shoulders. She returned the passionate kiss with fervor and was startled when he pulled away. He seethed through his clenched teeth and glared at her with frightening intensity. Damn it, Hermione, don't you ever do that to me again, he shouted, shoving her against the wall again. You hear me? Never again! Hermione gaped at him, trembling. With tears in her eyes, she was frozen in fear, not of him, but for him. She was filled with remorse and guilt and threw her arms around his neck, He held her tightly, almost painfully, to his body. Gods, Granger, do you have any idea? He trembled, too, unable to speak any more and unwilling to let her go. I'm sorry, she whispered in his ear. After another moment and three more floors announced by the lift, she gently pulled back to look at him. She chuckled, too happy to see him to allow to be angry with her. So I'm Granger again, am I? She asked lightly as she reached out and stroked his cheek. Draco looked down, still unable to smile, and gently took her left hand in his. He ran his thumb over the antique ring she wore. I thought I had lost you, he breathed dejectedly. Never again. We're married now, visiting Hermione stated uncomfortably. I wonder how long it's been. We can finish this in the office, Memory Harry interrupted. You have to put the cloak back on. Draco nodded and did as instructed, but he still wore a forlorn look that placed a heavy ache deep inside Hermione. The lift doors opened and Hermione felt a slight hold on her wrist. She looked down to see that her hand was still visible, but her wrist was not. Draco refused to let her go. Harry held the door for them both, and as soon as the interrogation room door was shut, Harry warded the room and started shouting. Draco whipped off the cloak and watched in silence. Where the hell were you? Four days, Hermione. Fred got back Friday. Four days you've been missing, and we've been out of our minds with worry. If I weren't so happy to see you, I could kill you right now. While Draco's anger had melted to sad relief, Harry's overjoyed relief turned into a raging fury. I'm waiting, Hermione. Hermione was shocked by his response, and it took her a full moment to gather her thoughts. Harry? dread filled her insides like lead. You... you just said Fred got back? What about... what about George? Harry's glare turned to the table and his boiling anger reduced to a simmer, his fists clenched by his sides. George is dead, he said flatly. No, no, Hermione shook her head. He can't be. I saw him. They, they got away. What happened? That's what I'm asking you, Harry stated. Fred said they ran. Then they saw you leave also, but then you disappeared. The mission wasn't over, Hermione said quietly. Draco stepped up behind her and supportively took her hand. They demanded a dark binding of members. I saw Fred and George back out. I was on the other side and left out the other set of doors. I saw them outside. I waved them on and saw them disappear into the forest. I cast a disillusionment charm on myself and went back in. I had to see what was happening. It would have been for nothing if I hadn't. You went back in? By yourself? Draco demanded as he glowered at her once more. You're the only one that reminds us over and over that missions are not to be done alone. I know, she said guiltily. Though she felt sorry for their worry, and hypocritical for breaking the rule she insisted on so heavily on. They could tell by her eyes and her stance that she wasn't sorry for the choice she had made in staying. I know it was stupid, but I saw an opportunity that I needed to take. We needed this. Keep going, Harry ordered. His voice was still hard and stern, but the hope for information continued to deplete his anger. I thought Fred and George were safe. I wouldn't have stayed otherwise, Hermione explained. I would have been back sooner, but I ended up staying in the building until afternoon the next day. I couldn't risk getting caught by the few that stuck around. Then, because the twins took the international portkey, I had to try to get one myself. I had problems registering for one with the ministry in Slovenia, so I went to Italy. It would have owled you, but I kept thinking that I would beat it back home. You saw the whole thing? Harry asked. He had been under the impression that she still would have been left before the end of it. Yes. Was he there? No, Harry, it's not him. We've been chasing the wrong person all this time. It's not Voldemort. It's Bellatrix. The rumors are true. She's alive. She was there. Bellatrix? Harry asked, completely flabbergasted. Yes, she heads it all. That's why we couldn't make sense of things. Why there doesn't seem to be much order. Why the ministry hasn't been targeted. She's not out to rule, Harry. Hermione looked him in the eye. It hurt to say it. She's out to destroy. Nothing more. Complete destruction. The visiting Hermione looked at Harry in horror. But Bellatrix is dead, the memory, Draco stated in confusion. Apparently not, Hermione returned as she nibbled on her bottom lip. No, she is. I watched her cremation. Which means... Hermione stared at Harry in worry. I know what it means, Harry. It means that Voldemort wasn't the only one who made a horcrux. The room went silent. Visiting Draco looked from their memory counterparts to the two people accompanying him. What's a horcrux? he asked tentatively. Now's not the time, Harry answered as the world transfigured around them again. Harry! Harry! Hermione screamed as she ran down the corridor of level two. Behind her, a pair of shoes seemed to run on their own as the invisibility cloak billowed around Draco. Harry! she screamed as she threw open the office door. Harry, are you okay? Hermione, what are you doing here? Harry seized her shoulders and looked at her. You're pregnant, the visiting Harry said in surprise, staring at Hermione's very visible swollen belly. I came as soon as I heard, Hermione panted. Are you okay? Ginny? James? Was. We're fine. All of us. We're okay, Harry told her seriously. Where are they? What happened? Hermione asked. Harry looked over at Draco, who had the cloak draped over his arm. It's three in the morning. The visiting Draco stared curiously at the clock on the desk near them. But what's the date? Harry asked, looking for a calendar. 16th of February, 2004. Draco pointed at the calendar on the wall. About three and a half years from now. "'We didn't hear much about it,' the memory Draco told Harry. "'Just that your home was attacked.' Harry nodded. "'How did they find it?' Hermione asked in panic. "'They didn't,' Harry answered. "'The Fidelius charm held. "'But they remembered about where it was located. "'They set fire to every home within a two-block radius of Grimmauld Place. "'With us recently blocking the flu, we couldn't get out that way. "'I couldn't let the words down either. "'I was afraid the fire would spread to our home if I did.' We went out the front stoop and apparated, but not before we saw it. The fire was everywhere. Everywhere. The wards held the fire off of your property, though? Hermione asked. Yes, but we can't go back there now. I just don't feel safe there now, Harry answered. You can stay at the manor. You know that, Potter. Malfoy offered. He and Harry still talked rather stiffly to one another, and it still surprised Hermione to see them on friendly and trusting grounds. I know. Thank you, Malfoy. But we're staying at the burrow. It's still safe. Death eaters have been there in the past, and they wouldn't have a clue where to start attacking. They know that they can't do anything to harm it as it is now, Harry explained. Is Ginny there now? Hermione asked. Yes. You should be with her, Harry, Hermione suggested. I can't. I have to. There's always work to do, Harry. Your wife and child need you now, Hermione pleaded on Ginny's behalf. No one can sue them like you can right now. Harry nodded. You're right. I'll go. Thank you. The memory swirled away like smoke and another swirled in and solidified before them. The manor, visiting Draco said as he walked into the sitting room. It looked much like it always had. He stopped when he saw Hermione. She sat on a Victorian-style brocade sofa in a pair of flannel pajamas with a bundle of blankets in her arms. Her eyes were swollen and red-rimmed, and tear stains lingered on her cheeks. She looked as though she was on the verge of crying again as she pulled the blankets in her arms closer. Aurelian Visiting Hermione whispered and took a few steps closer. There, in the arms of the woman on the sofa, was a baby boy looking to be about six months old. What's wrong? What are we supposed to be seeing? She's waiting, Harry answered. The sun is starting to rise. She's waiting for someone. He was right. As soon as he said it, Hermione knew he was right. It was the same look he saw on Molly Weasley's face every time she waited for a family member to return home. Hermione? A voice called from down the hallway. Hermione? Where? I'm in here, Draco, Hermione squeaked. Her face screwed up and a few silent tears slid down her cheeks. Hermione? Draco asked as he entered the room. What are you- Oh, Merlin, she gasped. Are you okay? Draco glanced down at himself and realized that he should have properly cast a cleaning charm before he came in, but he just couldn't wait to see her. Hermione stared at him, her hand over her mouth while tears fell slowly but steadily. His robes were torn in several places, and he was covered in dust and debris. There were a few small scrapes on his face, and a considerable one on the back of his neck. The blood there was strictly from the covering of dust. "'What's wrong?' Draco asked with concern, sitting only an inch on the sofa next to her. "'What are you doing in here?' "'I asked you first,' she replied. She brought her hand away from her mouth, but didn't seem to know what to do. She looked like she'd reach out to touch him, but instead brought it down to help and support the weight of the child in her arms.' I'm okay, but what's wrong? Nothing. It's just... Aurelian's nose was stuffed up so he couldn't sleep, Hermione explained. Draco looked down at the angelic face of his peacefully sleeping son and back up at his wife with a knowing look. I couldn't either, she admitted. I was so worried. You were gone so long. Tell me, Draco. Here, he said as he got to his feet. Let me take him to bed. Draco, she pleaded. I'll be right back. He assured her as he scooped the boy into his arms. Hermione bit her lip and closed her eyes. He was just going down the hall, but she couldn't watch him leave again. Two minutes passed slowly as Hermione concentrated on simply breathing. The three visitors looked around uncomfortably, each felt as though they'd be intruding on the woman in her grief. Draco returned and stared despondently at his wife, obviously reluctant to speak, but finally he did. They came, just like we knew they would, Draco spoke in monotone. He stared off, unable to look her in the eye. To look at her would make it too hard to speak. It would all feel too real. They went to the top floor, high security, like we knew they would. We fought them, but there were a lot more than we thought there'd be. We weren't ready. They freed a few of the Death Eaters and killed the rest. Killed all the other prisoners on that floor. Your father? She asked sympathetically. Yeah, they killed him. He stated without emotion. We weren't ready. We're... we're there. It's not what we imagined. It wasn't what we planned for, Draco trudged on. There were so many. I guess 50? Maybe more. But they just... He stopped and looked up with her with pain in his eyes. It's gone. Destroyed. They didn't just break in. They demolished the entire building. They didn't care at all about the other prisoners. They destroyed Azkaban and everything in it. No, she breathed. Draco were—we weren't ready, he repeated. There was a far-off look in his eyes again. A great pained frown appeared on his face and tears gathered in his eyes. Draco? Hermione cried as tears again once glided down her cheeks. He knew her question and avoided it, and it scared her. Who? We weren't ready, he repeated again. Draco who? she demanded. We can't find the bodies in the rubble but we know who's missing. We know, Draco sighed. He had to just say it. Finnegan, Johnson, Chang, Hestia Jones, and Percy. No, Hermione sobbed. No. Draco walked over to her and sat on the sofa. She turned to him immediately and buried her face against his chest. He wrapped his arms around her and took comfort in her as well. No, visiting Harry breathed. The visiting Hermione shook her head and bit her lip. She reminded herself over and over that they would change things, that none of the things they'd witnessed here would happen. The three visitors stood still, stuck in their thoughts as the world changed again. Hermione looked at the men on either side of her, ready to beg them for a break. It was too hard to watch. When she looked forward again, she saw that they were still in the manor. The memory Hermione stood quietly with her hand at rest on the doorframe as she stared into a dark room. The three visitors took a step forward to see what she was looking at. The visiting Hermione knew exactly where she was when she saw the stars twinkle down from the ceiling. She leaned to the side and saw a white crib on the far wall with a small boy in it, peacefully sleeping with his tiny rump in the air. Then she looked curiously at the camp bed that was set against the wall next to it. There was a pillow at each end and two child sized lumps beneath the blanket. Three? Hermione asked. Maybe James? Harry wondered, taking another step into the room. Then who's the other? Draco asked. Harry was about to go have a look when Memory Hermione stepped back and closed the door behind her. Harry was thrust into darkness and was forced to follow the group down the corridor. Memory Hermione walked down the stairs silently. She had a heavy air around her, her shoulders not held back like they once were. The three visitors felt heavy inside as well. They dreaded where the memory would lead them. It wasn't a minute later when they turned into the drawing room and stopped in surprise. The room was packed with people. Some sat, but many others stood anxiously. The new headquarters? Harry assumed. It would seem, the visiting Hermione answered him. The memory Hermione looked just to the right of the door and found Ginny. The red eyes darted nervously around the room as she leaned against the doorframe. Hermione gently placed a hand on the woman's shoulder and Ginny jumped. The whole room looked up at them. Sorry, Hermione apologized in a barely audible voice. They are all asleep. Ginny nodded in understanding. Harry placed his arm around Ginny's shoulders, and Hermione made her way across the room toward Draco, where she took a seat on the arm of his chair. The room was still and silent, but for the woman pacing in front of the fireplace. Calm down, Molly, Arthur beseeched his wife. He pulled her to his side and softly rubbed her arms in hopes of easing her distress, even just a little. They were supposed to be back an hour ago. Where are they? The woman clamped her mouth shut and tried to remain strong. She allowed her husband to pull her into a comforting embrace. They'll be here, Arthur answered, as much for himself as for her. It was only a few seconds later that the fire in the grate flared green and suddenly a man stood there. He stumbled out of the fireplace completely out of breath. At the sight of the many waiting eyes on him, he straightened up and brushed some of the ash out of his ginger hair. Sorry I'm late, he apologized. Charlie? Molly simply called his name, hoping that he would answer the question she couldn't bear to ask. Mum he replied dumbly as he turned to see the woman behind him near the fire. She had startled him. The woman couldn't look at him. She didn't seem to be able to keep her eyes off of the fire. Charlie, where's Fred? Arthur asked in a stern voice. Charlie's perplexed look was stunned and turned to his father. What? I thought he beat me back here. At this, Molly let out a sob. Charlie looked around at everyone in the room, hoping one of them would be Fred, or at least one of them could tell him that Fred had arrived. "'No, he's fine,' Charlie said with finality. He straightened and looked at his mother with confidence. "'He's fine. I saw him. We were running, and I wasn't sure I'd make it to the port key. I told him to take it. I saw him take it. He took it alone.' He quickly added to assuage his mother's fears. "'I operated away and had to make my own international portkey. That's what kept me. I don't know what's keeping him, but I swear to you that he got away, Mom. He's fine.' At this, he looked around at everyone in the room. To say that he was not worried would have been a lie but he had to remind himself of what he knew. His brother had gotten away. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and give us a report while we're waiting for Fred, Bill suggested. Charlie's heart gave a sudden leap at the subject change, but it plummeted just as fast. His report was not one that he wanted to make. He frowned. The confidence he'd built up just a moment before had already faded. They destroyed the Reichstag. Chancellor Merkel and a few other members of the Bundestag were killed. Germany is a mess. The whole country. It's chaos, Charlie stated flatly. It was too hard to speak if he allowed any of his emotions to settle in. Katie? Sabini? Lee Jordan asked apprehensively. Charlie looked down and shook his head. Everyone had sort of expected this answer when neither had responded, but it didn't hurt any less to hear that they had lost two more members of their group. Tell us what you know, Harry said despondently. Well, as we know, Katie and Blaze were working with the German Ministry of Magic at Kingsley's request— they told the Ministry about the possibility of attack on the Muggle government. The Ministry listened and took precautions. It just wasn't enough. Henrik Schultz and their Minister for Magic contacted Muggle Chancellor Merkel, and she agreed to allow magical law enforcement to help protect her parliament. The Death Eaters just moved sooner than expected, and there were too many. He looked straight at Harry. There were too many of them. We tried to talk to the Ministry officials, but they were too busy. It's madness. Luckily, we were able to reach the contact Katie gave us. We were able to find them, the Death Eaters. Too many, Harry. They had over 200 there, and they're still recruiting everywhere. Damn it, the memory Draco suddenly lashed out and pushed out of his chair. That's the seventh fucking world leader killed in the last two years. They're ripping the whole fucking world to pieces. And Germany? Germany is huge. If this is anything like Spain... Draco looked at everyone in the room and stopped on Harry. Over two hundred of them. The largest gathering we've seen. But that's only what's been seen. Who knows what numbers they have that we haven't seen? What are we supposed to do? He asked earnestly. Visiting Harry felt as uncomfortable as the memory Harry looked, if not more so, by all the pressure put on him. He had often been looked to as a leader, but he'd never felt like the leader type. He didn't like the idea of so many people dependent on his instruction. It hurt even more to know that he seemed to be failing miserably at it. At least. That's what it looked like to visiting Harry. The fireplace suddenly blazed to life again and interrupted everyone's thoughts. A very exhausted but happy Fred Weasley stepped out of the fireplace. Miss me? He asked Charlie with a grin. Where the hell were you? Charlie demanded angrily, instantly wiping the smile off Fred's face. Your portkey left over an hour ago. A strangled sob pulled Fred's attention to the woman in his father's arms. Arthur stared at him angrily. This was obviously not the welcome he'd expected yeah the port key left an hour ago, but I wasn't on it. Fred told Charlie with a short glance over his shoulder at his mother again. What are you talking about? I saw you leave, Charlie shouted. That's what everyone thought they saw. Fred replied, a small smile tugged at the corner of his mouth, despite his efforts to suppress it. I'm sorry, I worried everyone really. Fred glanced at his parents again as he said this. I just saw an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. This better be good, Fred, because you have no idea how close I am to hexing you right now, Charlie said seriously. His fingers twitched near his wand holster. At this, Fred could not hide his smile more. What happened? Neville Longbottom asked. Fred wasn't sure whether Neville knew that his inquiry had just saved Fred a hexing or not. But he was still grateful. If it wasn't you that took the portkey, who did? Who indeed? said Fred. He always loved telling tales, especially of mischief. Well, Charlie and I were told where the Death Eaters had gone after the attack on did Charlie tell you what happened about the German parliament? Yes, Fred, Charlie growled. Get on with it. Right, Fred continued undeterred. Well, we played dress-up with our Death Eater outfits and attended. They're rather cautious now. They have a way of finding sneaks in the group, so Charlie and I were led away by some big guys, wand straight at us. With a little wandless magic, we distracted them and ran for it. We got separated as we ran through the woods toward the portkey. I heard Charlie yell for me to take it, While I tripped, and when I disarmed the Death Eater coming after me, his mask slipped off, and guess who it was? No guessing games, Fred, Bill admonished. Get on with it. Fred snorted in amusement and continued. Rebest and Lestrange. No kidding. Old Bella Bitch's very own brother-in-law. It was, like I said, an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. I used the Imperius Curse on the arsehole, took his mask, and started chasing him. At this, he laughed. A few others in the room couldn't help but smile. A couple chuckled quietly. Knowing where the portkey was headed, I made him take it. You sent him to the Auror's office? Hermione asked in utter astonishment. Pretty quick thinking, eh? Fred asked. Rather pleased with himself. I'm sure the Aurors were there as surprised as he was, but I figured they'd make good on their toes. He was confused, outnumbered, and wandless. I think it's pretty safe to say that he's in custody as we speak. Wow, Fred, Ron said, truly impressed. Hush now, Ronnie, Fred smiled. I'll hear your praise when I'm done with my story. There's more, Lee stated confidently. He looked quite excited to hear Fred's tale. So I took his mask, like I said. Being one of the original Death Eaters, his mask is quite unique. No one questioned who I was when they saw me chase the guy to the port key. So I went back with them. Most of the crowd had gone, and it was time for the inner circle discussions. Some people looked excited by this, while others looked uncomfortable or angry. It seems we were right. Bellatrix really isn't one to play around with the details of world planning. She has others to do the plotting and just takes charge of the attacks once they're planned. Her numbers keep growing, and the different people in her inner circle are like generals. I heard them talking about a plan for Italy. Things are still in the early stages, I guess. But one guy, don't know who, brought forth a guy from the Middle East somewhere. He was just asked to help plan attacks over that way. They mentioned some holy city or something. Oh, Merlin, Hermione gasped. No worries, Hermione, he smiled. That guy's not going to be much assistance to them. I can assure you that. Fred looked down and rubbed at a smudge on his fingers and then looked up at the faces and they stared at him in wait. I mean, there's not much he can do for them from my flat, now is there? What? Molly shouted. When he went off, I followed him. Easy target as he wasn't expecting anything. I made an international portkey that went straight to my flat. He's there now, waiting on old Potter and his band of merry men to take him in for questioning. Fred, I don't know whether to slug you or hug you right now, Charlie said seriously. He looked quite upset, and his reckless little brother. How about we settle for a rough pat on the back, then? Fred smiled. Charlie slapped him hard on the back. You are an insufferable idiot, you know that? He replied fondly. I know, Fred said with a small smirk, but then his eyes and voice turned serious for a moment. I really am sorry for worrying you, though. I know. And if you try anything like that again, I'll hex you beyond repair, Charlie threatened. Fred nodded. Hmm. Fred's even crazier than I thought, visiting Harry wore a small smile when he said it. He was truly in awe of Fred's courage and quick thought, but there was still a heavier feeling inside of him. No crazier than when Hermione pulled when she snuck back in with the Death Eaters, in my opinion, visitor Draco said flatly. He's an idiot. Visitor Hermione looked at Draco with her brows knit in suspicion. She wasn't sure if he meant that to be accepted as praise or as an insult, but that wasn't the part that really stood out to her. He had referred to her not actually to her, but about her, as Hermione. It was the first time she ever remembered hearing him say her first name. Her attention quickly returned to the memory, and such more pressing matters assaulted her thoughts. Seven world leaders killed within two years. The memory started to swirl away again, before the next swirl into view. A voice rang out around them. Hogwarts is under attack! The three visitors were thrown into the same sense of panic as the man and woman that sat up quickly in their bed. The room was dark, and it was difficult to see anything except for the shadowed outlines of Hermione and Draco, and the bright spectral cat that stood on the foot of their bed. They recognized the Patronus and the voice that had accompanied it a moment ago. The sleepy couple in the bed stared at the ethereal, spectral, and horror of McGonagall's message. Hermione gasped, and her husband leapt out of bed. His hand immediately took hold of his wand. I have to go, Draco said in a panic, as he grabbed his shield cloak off the hook on the inside of the closet door. He slipped it on over his bare chest. The bottoms of his blue sleep pants were still visible underneath. Draco, Hermione worried as she scurried to the edge of the bed. Draco placed his hand on her shoulder to stop her from getting up. Put the wards up as soon as I'm out, Draco ordered as he slammed his bare feet into his leather shoes. Draco, Hermione started anxiously. She knew that they needed him, but she still didn't want him to go. Just, just be careful. Draco nodded and raised his wand. Hermione felt the shift of magic as the apparition ward was dropped. There was a small, pop sound that reaccompanied his departure, and Hermione was left staring at the place where the shadowed outline of her husband once stood. Hermione sat in bed for a moment and tried to calm herself. What else could she do? She wanted to help, but she couldn't just leave. Not with Aurelian. Sitting still wasn't good. She couldn't contain the anxiety that made her want to move and act. Hogwarts was under attack. After she paced for another minute, Hermione flicked her wand to light the candles in the room. She wasn't going to sleep now. What could she do? Someone could use her. But where could she go that she could help that Aurelian would be safe? Hermione, open the flue! Ginny's voice cried through the room. Hermione turned around in shock and stared at the spectral horse. Perny! Hermione called. A small, obviously feminine house elf appeared before her. Despite the very late or very early hour and the elf's sleepy eyes, she still wore a very pleasant smile. I'm sorry, Perny, but it's an emergency. Please open the flue immediately. Yes, mistress, Pernie smiled and turned and started toward the door. With a little skip in her step and crack, the house elf vanished. Hermione grabbed her shield cloak and wand and raced down the stairs. Ginny? Hermione cried as she ran into the drawing room. The first person she saw was a handsome boy with dark violet hair. He stood alone in the center of the room, looking uncertain in his pajamas and bare feet. Teddy, are you okay? Hermione asked. She hurried over to the seven-year-old boy and pulled him into a hug. Visitor Harry and Hermione's heart leapt to see that Teddy was still alive, but their minds still raced. This had to be the tragedy that they'd read about in the article. Hermione, Ginny whimpered in relief when she arrived in the fireplace with a young James, barely two years old, in her arms. Merlin, Hermione. You heard, didn't you? Did Draco? Yes, Draco went, Hermione answered. I'm sorry for coming over like this, but I just can't stay there. I can't just wait there while my whole family is out there. I don't know what to do. I just can't be alone, Ginny sobbed. Me neither. I just can't sit here. Then let's help. They'll need people. They need people to help heal, if nothing else, Ginny said. Her eyes begged for Hermione to agree. It also happened to be what Hermione hoped for as well. I have a few extra shield cloaks upstairs. I need to grab Aurelian's. Hermione rattled off. She was halfway down the hall, and Ginny had to hurry after her. You can take one cloak for you and one for Teddy. They're in my closet. It'll be too big for Teddy, but I haven't one his size. Aurelian has another that James can use. Thank you, Ginny said as she ducked into Hermione's room. Hermione continued down the long hallway to Aurelian's room and hesitated only a moment before she opened the door and walked in. She felt terrible for waking her son to pull him into things, but she knew she'd needed to. She summoned some cloaks from the closet. Aurelian, sweetheart, we have to go now, Hermione spoke softly. The little boy stirred in his crib, and Hermione gently picked him up. She held him tightly to her chest as she walked quickly back toward Ginny and Teddy and James. How do we leave? Ginny asked. She switched James to her other arm so that she could slip her arm into the cloak. I can't let the wards down again, and I've already blocked the flue. We'll have to walk around outside the manor's wards and apparate. Hermione summoned a satchel from her room. Hermione, I'm not sure I can side-along apparate with both of them, Ginny worried. I can take Teddy and Ori with me, Hermione replied. Are you sure? Ginny asked. Yes, she answered confidently. Ginny, what are we doing? Teddy asked nervously. We're going to help at Hogwarts, Ginny told him. But Harry said to, "I know what Harry said, but they'll need us," Ginny answered. "You'll be fine, I promise. We'll keep you safe. You just hold on to Hermione." Teddy nodded, his features etched in anxiety, and took hold of Hermione's hand. Ginny rushed ahead and slipped one of Fred and George's patented shield cloaks onto her young son as she moved. Hermione wrapped Aurelian's cloak loosely around his body. "He'll be fine until they got there." The two women led the boys into the dark night. They hadn't slowed since Ginny arrived, but it still felt like so much time had passed. They walked a few yards beyond the manor's gate and stopped. Hold my hand tight, Teddy, Hermione instructed, and don't let go when we get there. Teddy nodded solemnly. We'll meet you there, Ginny said. Near the gates, Hermione clarified. Ginny nodded and held James close and disapparated. Don't be afraid, Hermione told Teddy. We wouldn't go if we couldn't keep you safe. She squeezed his hand and turned on the spot. The world became small and pressed around them. Hermione and Ginny saw each other right away and immediately headed up the hill toward the gate of Hogwarts. When they got there, they saw that the gate was already wide open. Their pace slowed as the castle came into view. Oh, gods, Hermione breathed. She tried to prepare herself for a horrible scene, but it was far worse than she had imagined. The three visitors stopped in their tracks, as horrified as the women in front of them. Both sides of the castle were engulfed in flames. The great oak doors in the center of the castle still looked untouched. Hermione and Ginny both looked up at Gryffindor Tower at the same time, and Ginny fell to her knees. This wasn't an attack. It was a massacre. Visiting Hermione's eyes scanned the grounds. Several shadows ran about in front of the castle, and both the Gryffindor and Ravenclaw Towers had flames licking out of each window. She looked over at the lake to see the water boiling angrily. She remembered that the Slytherin dorms were located under the lake, and it made sense. The Death Eaters were actually targeting the children. So many innocent children. There was no way that they could survive an attack like that. They had just started to scan the people that raced around in front of the castle and those that ran in and out of the dark oak doors when she was startled again. A person suddenly appeared in front of her, kneeling next to a large heavy load. She knew exactly what it was. A body wrapped in a white sheet. Hermione? Jinny? Dean! Jinny cried. Merlin, no. Who? I can't, Dean said before he disapparated. What? How did he apparate? The wards are down, memory, Hermione realized. The thought was unsettling. She knew that it should mean nothing considering the whole castle had been destroyed, but Hogwarts had always been strong, powerful, and safe. The idea that it was so broken that the wards were down was unsettling, to say the least. Only a moment later, Dean returned with another body. Who, Dean? Ginny demanded. I can't. He turned to leave again, but Ginny grabbed a fistful of his robes. Who? Dean sighed and looked miserable. Hermione realized that it hadn't only been because of a commitment to duty that he didn't want to stop. He didn't want to let himself think about what he was doing. It was a task that he had not let himself consider emotionally. I don't know, Dean admitted. No one does. They're burned beyond recognition. What happened? How many? Ginny continued. Ginny, he sternly reproved. Ginny let go of his robes, and he disappeared again. Just as Dean disapparated, another person apparated near them. Luna! Ginny cried. Ginny, why is James here? He shouldn't be here, Luna stated simply. She no longer looked like the unaffected youth she once had, although her voice still sounded somewhat airy. She fought hard, and she fought diligently, and she knew what she was fighting for. She, like Dean, looked rather emotionally detached at the moment. Who, Luna? Ginny asked as she looked down at another wrapped body. I don't know, Luna told her. We can't identify them as they are. Have you seen Harry? Or Draco? Hermione quickly added. I saw Harry at one time, but only when we just arrived. I haven't seen Draco, but it's been mad, Luna said as she stepped back into the castle. The Death Eaters were fleeing when we arrived. We tried to fight them. A few were killed, I think. These... these are ours, we think. They were trying to get up to the towers. I... Luna stopped and looked up. She watched in stunned silence as the Gryffindor Tower crumbled and fell into the Black Lake. ''Luna!'' a voice shouted. Luna turned around and saw Dean pointing at the castle. ''They say there are a few children near the greenhouses!'' Luna nodded to Dean and they disapparated. Dean left another body near the other three and disapparated again. ''I'm not doing any good here,'' Ginny whined. ''I'm sorry, Hermione, but I have to... go!'' Hermione ordered. She was a little upset at the witch for leaving her, but only because it was what she wished she could do. She felt so worthless. Hermione took James out of Ginny's arms and watched as she disapparated. "Mummy!" James cried. "Shh, shh, none of that," Hermione lightly admonished, tears in her eyes. She watched as the people ran back and forth. She thought of all of her teachers, all of the students, and the orphan children that had stayed there because they had nowhere else to go. She stared down at the four wrapped bodies at her feet. And her stomach gave a lurch. Four more order members, and no one even knew which. Her tears fell faster. Every piece of her begged her to run. Half wanted to run away from it, and the other half wanted to run toward the action to help if she could. She wanted to make sure that her friends were okay. It was only her love for her friends and her child that she stayed with the children. Teddy, let's sit you over here, Hermione instructed as she led him to a tree on the edge of the grounds. The grass may be a bit wet, but it's better than standing the whole night. Now, keep an eye on these boys. Keep them close. Where are you going? Teddy panicked. He sat with his back against the tree trunk as instructed, and Hermione placed two-year-old James on one side of him, and Aurelian, only a few months younger than James, on his other side. Teddy was already terrified by what he'd witnessed and the fear and the horror in Hermione's eyes. The thought of her leaving pushed him over the edge, and he began to sob uncontrollably. Hermione tried to keep her voice steady, but, despite her efforts, it was high and strained. When she looked at Teddy, she pretended that the tears that ran down her cheeks weren't even there. Teddy, I'm not going anywhere, Hermione told him in earnest. I just want you to sit and try to relax a bit. I don't want you to see more than you have to. I'm going to go move just up here a bit and see if I can care for the people they bring back, all right? I'll never leave your sight. Here. She conjured a heated blanket and placed it over the three boys wearing pajamas and cloaks. James leaned into Teddy and snuggled close, but Aurelian reached up for his mum. You sit here, Aurelian. I'll be right up there. Teddy placed his arm around Ori's shoulders and snuggled him in closer. I promise, Teddy, if you call for me, I'll be right here. You'll see me the whole time. Teddy nodded, and Hermione readjusted the satchel on her shoulders and walked forward. She stopped near the bodies on the grass and looked back at the boys against the tree. From there, they were far enough back and low enough to the ground that they could only see the very tops of the castle, and could not see the bodies on the ground very well. Hermione stared out at the castle and the grounds and felt as if there was a hole in her heart. They had lost so much already. They all knew that this was possible, but they never imagined that it would be so devastating. She looked around at the boys again, then down at the bodies to her right. She had a terrible urge to look, to see who they were. She dreaded knowing. It was going to hurt no matter what when she found out. She knelt down beside the first body and reached out for the cloth. Her hand stopped a few inches above it. No more, Harry. The visiting Hermione cried suddenly. She turned her back on the scene. I can't do it. I can't watch any more. The memory of Hermione gently grasped the cloth in her hands and took a breath. Before she could pull it down, a pop sounded behind her. Ron! Hermione cried as she jumped to her feet. Ron looked up in surprise. Hermione! What are you doing here? Ron demanded. No, never mind. I'm glad you're here. It's Charlie, he gestured to the man he had left on the ground. He's hurt. Can you help him? Yes, Hermione quickly agreed. I mean, I'll try. Wait, Hermione gasped and sunk to her knees by Charlie. Ron, did you see Draco or Harry? Ron looked as though he were made of stone. No, but that's a good thing, came his stoic reply. Hermione nodded. Can I bring the others here? Yes, Hermione answered, and he disapparated. Hermione returned her attention to the injured man lying before her. Oh, gods. Half of Charlie's body, the half that faced her, was burned. Most of his clothes on that side were burned away. Charlie's face was screwed up and he groaned and whimpered in pain. Hermione didn't know where to start. She dropped the satchel onto the ground and started to dig through it frantically. Charlie, Charlie, look at me. Drink this, Hermione commanded. Charlie seemed as though he had barely registered she was there. The pain was so excruciating that he was unable to focus on the world around him. Hermione gently cupped the uninjured side of his face with her hand and turned his head to face her. One of his eyes opened slightly. Drink, she ordered softly. She pressed the bottle to his bottom lip and poured some of the potion inside. Only a couple seconds after he swallowed, his expression started to soften and his whimpering began to fade. Thank you, he sobbed. Hermione nodded. She had already started to busy herself with the removal of the burnt pieces of fabric stuck to Charlie's charred skin. How bad is it? I don't know, Charlie. I'm not a healer, Hermione apologized. You haven't lost anything, but I don't know how it will heal. Thank you, Charlie repeated. Hermione nodded again. She looked down at his crinkled blackened skin and the angry red skin underneath. She wasn't sure how burn paste worked on third-degree burns, but it was the best she had. What happened? she asked apprehensively. She tried her best to be gentle as she slathered the paste over nearly the entire right side of his body. They were fleeing when we got here, Charlie told her. Some of the order started dueling, but I went straight to the castle. I saw the fire and I wanted to help. Charlie hissed in pain as Hermione dabbed the paste around his eye. Although the potion took away most of the pain, his nerves were still sensitive and stinging. When Hermione moved back down to his leg, having done his arm first, Charlie looked over at the line covered bodies near them. His face screwed up again. We just wanted to help. We were too late, though. He sobbed without restraint. It was cursed fire. Fiend fire. Hermione whispered with a panicked look over her shoulder at the castle. I don't know what it is, but we couldn't put it out. We didn't even touch us. We just got close. I tried to go to them, but I was too late. I was still meters away from the flame when I got burned. Try to go to whom? Hermione asked anxiously. Charlie stared at the shrouded bodies. You were with them? Hermione asked. Charlie didn't answer. He just stared longingly through his tears at the line of bodies. Who? "Mum." and dad, and Fleur. Charlie sobbed. Oh, no, Hermione whispered. Charlie. That last one. Charlie shook his head. I honestly don't know. He was in front of all of us. Hermione couldn't breathe for a moment. The pain of hearing about Mr. and Mrs. Weasley was terrible enough. She couldn't allow herself to imagine that it might be Harry or Draco. Hermione! Ron shouted. It's Lee." Hermione rushed to Charlie's left and kneeled over the new patient. I've got to go. They found some children near the greenhouses, Ron disapparated before he had a chance to respond. Hermione set to work on Lee. She sealed his wounds and mended his broken bones as far as she could see. All the while, she continuously glanced over at the three boys under the tree. Before too long, all three boys were asleep. Not long after Lee had arrived, Luna, Ron, and Dean showed up with others. All children. There were twelve total. A few had minor injuries, but they otherwise were unharmed. As soon as the last child was delivered, seven more shrouded bodies were placed in the line. Neville and some students, Ron answered Hermione's unspoken question. Professor Longbottom helped us out of the castle, a small girl explained. Six at a time. He went back in, but he didn't come back out. It turns out that there's a passage near the Hufflepuff common room that comes out near the greenhouses. Tricky, though, Luna explained. He was a Gryffindor, through and through, said Dean. Come on, Ron ordered roughly before he disapparated again. Hermione? a voice demanded. Hermione leapt to her feet and took off at a run before she even saw him. As soon as she saw he was healthy enough to stand, she threw her arms around his neck. Draco, Draco, I was so worried. Draco pulled her back and stared at her angrily. What are you doing here? "'Where's—stop! Harry, stop!' the visiting Hermione pleaded suddenly. "'I can't do it! I'm done! I cannot watch any more right now! Please! I don't want to learn who else! I can't! Not now!' Harry had been watching the scene so intently, so quietly, that he had almost forgotten that Hermione and Draco were with him. "'She's right, Potter,' Draco agreed. "'We've seen enough for now. I don't want to see more.' Harry heard them, but his eyes never left the scene. Ginny had returned back with memory, Harry, while Fred spoke to Charlie. Ron and Dean returned with two more shrouded bodies. He stared up at the school as the entrance hall collapsed. Everyone there stood like statues as they watched. Please, Harry! Hermione beseeched him. Harry nodded in response. Do you know how to leave? Hermione shook her head. Give me your wrist, Harry requested. Yours too, Malfoy. Draco looked uncomfortable about allowing Harry to touch him, but he still held his arm out to him. Harry took hold of their wrists, and they were pulled backwards out of the pensive to land firmly in McGonagall's office. The three of them stood in a triangular formation and looked from one to the other, then down and away with their private thoughts. We're not going to let this happen. We're going to fix this, Harry declared with fierce determination. He turned and walked toward the door with his fist clenched at his sides. Leave Aurelian alone, Harry, Hermione commanded. She followed him, stopped at the door, and called sternly after it. I mean it, Harry! You stay away from him! After she heard the gargoyle step back into place, she returned to the room and stared at the floor. Pain and anger etched on her face. Where is he going? Draco asked. I don't know, she answered quietly. But you're afraid of him seeing the boy, Draco asserted. No, not afraid, just concerned. She looked up at Draco and saw that he expected more. Well, you've seen how he gets when he's angry and frustrated. He gets intense. Aurelian's been through a lot. I don't want Harry to scare him. Hermione walked over to the pensive and stared into it. There, she looked upon the crumbled, smoldering ruins of the castle, and dozens of shrouded bodies on the grounds in front of it. She let out a shaky breath and forced back her tears. She placed her wand above the basin and removed the string of memories from it. After storing them back in the tiny vial, she glanced at Draco and started toward the door. Are you coming? she asked over her shoulder. Draco nodded and followed quietly after. Miss Granger, what happened? Professor McGonagall called as she saw Hermione and Draco descend the grand staircase. Harry just charged away. Is— It's okay, Professor, Hermione assured her. We just discovered quite a bit, and, well, you know how Harry gets about investigations. He's driven. Well, yes, of course. You found what you needed then, she asked curiously. Well, yes, we've learned quite a lot, but there are a lot more memories than we thought. We weren't able to get through them all. Hermione replied uncomfortably. It was the truth, but not because they ran out of time. She just hadn't been able to stand the idea of seeing more. She didn't want to reflect on the memories at all, let alone view the rest. But she knew that they would have to eventually. I really hate to ask, but would it be possible for us to borrow the pensive? Or come back to use it again soon? Yes, of course. I could prepare it for travel this afternoon, and even flew it to you this evening if you'd like, McGonagall offered. I would really appreciate that. I should be home all evening, so you can bring it by any time, Hermione informed her, and I really do appreciate it very much. I'm happy to help any way I can. If there's ever anything you need, please let me know. Hermione smiled and nodded to the headmistress. She was a good woman, a strong woman, and ever since the start of the last war, she had taken an active role in helping to aid in the capture of dark wizards. It was nice to know that there were people like her that she could always trust for assistance. So... What now? Draco asked as they walked across the grounds. Hermione noticed him look over his shoulder at the castle, no doubt remembering the last member they had viewed. I don't know, Hermione answered honestly. You said you're going home? Draco cried. Well, I have to go to the borough first, but I hope to be going back to my flat soon. I now have a valid excuse to, she declared. Normally she wouldn't have had such a thing allowed, but at the moment she really didn't care. She hadn't returned to her flat since Aurelian's arrival, and she looked forward to returning to its comfort. I see, he replied. I don't know what we're doing next. I have no idea where Harry ran off to. I'm sure we're going to be discussing this with Ron, at least, but I'm not sure when. We'll owl or flew you when we've decided what we're doing. If we don't contact you tonight, just be prepared for when we flew tomorrow. Draco simply nodded. With nothing more to say, Hermione apparated away just outside the gates, leaving Draco alone with his thoughts.